Section 30 of the Norwegian Fairy Book by Clara Strobe. Translated by Frederick Herman Martins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Lucky Andrew. There was once a rich peasant who had two sons named John Nicholas and Lucky Andrew. The oldest was one of those fellows of whom one never can quite make head or tail. He was a most unpleasant customer to deal with, and he was more grasping and greedy than the folk of the Northland are, as a rule, though it is only too rare to find them unblessed with these attractive qualities. The other, Lucky Andrew, was wild and high-spirited, but always good-natured, and no matter how badly off he might be, he would always insist that he had been born under a lucky star. When the eagle, in order to defend his nest, belabored his head and face till the blood ran, he would still maintain that he was born under a lucky star, if only he managed to bring home a single eaglet. Did his boat capsize, which occasionally happened, and did they discover him hanging to it, quite overcome with the water, cold and exertion, and asked him how he felt, he would reply, Oh, quite well, I have been saved. I surely am in luck. When their father died, both of them were of age, and not long after, they both had to go out to the sandbanks to fetch some fishing nets, which had been left there since the summer fishing. It was late in the fall, after the time when most fishermen are busy with the summer fishing. Andrew had his gun along, which he carried with him whenever he went. John Nicholas did not say much while they were under way, but he thought all the harder. They were not ready to set out for home again until near evening. Hark, lucky Andrew, do you know there will be a storm tonight? said John Nicholas, and looked out across the sea. I think it would be best if we stayed here until morning. There'll be no storm, said Andrew. The seven sisters have not put on their fog caps, so you may be quite at rest. But his brother complained of being weary, and at length they decided to remain there for the night. When Andrew awoke, he found himself alone, and he saw neither brother nor boat, until he came to the highest point of the island. Then he discovered him far out, darting for land like a seagull. Andrew did not understand the whole affair. There were still provisions there, as well as a dish of curd, his gun, and various other things. So Andrew wasted but little time in thought. He will come back this evening, said he. Only a fool loses heart so long as he can eat. But in the evening there was no brother to be seen, and Andrew waited day by day and week by week, until at last he realized that his brother had marooned him on this barren island in order to be able to keep their inheritance for himself and not have to divide it. And such was the case, for when John Nicholas came in sight of land on his homeward trip, he had capsized the boat and declared that Lucky Andrew had been drowned. But the latter did not lose heart. He gathered driftwood along the strand, shot seabirds, and looked for mussels and roots. He built himself a raft of drift timber and fished with a pole that had also been left behind. One day, while he was at work, he happened to notice a depression or hollow in the sand, as though made by the keel of a large Northland schooner, 
and he could plainly trace the braidings of the hawsers from the strand up to the top of the island. Then he thought to himself that he was in no danger, for he saw there was truth in the report he had often heard, that the mere folk made the island their abode and did much business with their ships. God be praised for good company. That was just what I needed. Yes, it is true, as I have always said, that I was born under a lucky star, thought Andrew to himself. Perhaps he said so, too, for occasionally he really had to talk a little. So he lived through the fall. Once he saw a boat and hung a rag on a pole and waved with it. But that very moment the sail dropped and the crew took to the oars and rowed away at top speed, for they thought the mere trolls were making signs and waving. On Christmas Eve, Andrew heard fiddles and music far out at sea, and when he came out, he saw a glow of light that came from a great Northland schooner, which was gliding toward the land, yet such a ship he had never yet seen. It has a mainsail of uncommon size, which looked to him to be of silk, and the most delicate tackling, as thin as though woven of steel wire, and everything else was in proportion as fine and handsome as any Northlander might wish to have. The whole schooner was filled with little people dressed in blue, but the girl who stood at the helm was adorned like a bride, and looked as splendid as a queen, for she wore a crown and costly garments, yet anyone could see that she was a human being, for she was tall and handsomer than the mere folk. In fact, Lucky Andrew thought that she was handsomer than any girl he ever had seen. The schooner headed for the land where Andrew stood, but with his usual presence of mind, he hurried to the fisherman's hut, pulled down his gun from the wall, and crept up into the large loft and hid himself, so that he could see all that passed in the hut. He soon noticed that the whole room was alive with people. They filled it completely and more, and still more of them came in. Then the walls began to crack, and the little hut spread out at all corners, and grew so splendid and magnificent that the wealthiest merchant could not have had its equal. It was almost like being in a royal castle. Tables were covered with the most exquisite silver and gold. When they had eaten, they began to dance. Under cover of the noise, Andrew crept to the lookout at the side of the roof and climbed down. Then he ran to the schooner, threw his flint stone over it, and in order to make certain, cut a cross into it with his sharp cutting knife. When he came back again, the dance was in full swing. The tables were dancing, and the benches and the chairs, everything else in the room was dancing too. The only one who did not dance was the bride. She only sat there and looked on. And when the bridegroom came to fetch her, she sent him away. For the moment there was no thought of stopping. The fiddler knew neither rest nor repose, and did not pass his cap, but played merrily on with his left hand and beat time with his foot, until he was dripping with sweat and the fiddle was hidden by the dust and smoke. When Andrew noticed that his own feet began to twitch where he was standing, he thought to himself, Now I had better shoot away, or else he will play me right off the ground. So he turned his gun, thrust it through the window, and shot it off over the bride's head, but upside down, 
otherwise the bullet would have hit him. The moment the shot crashed, all the troll folk tumbled out of the door together, but when they saw that the schooner was banned on the shore, they wailed and crept into a hole in the hill. But all the gold and silver dishes were left behind, and the bride, too, was still standing there. She told Lucky Andrew that she had been carried into the hill when she was only a small child. Once, when her mother had gone to the pen to attend to the milking, she had taken her along. But when she had to go home for a moment, she left the child sitting under a juniper bush and told her that she might eat the berries if she only repeated three times, I eat juniper berries blue, wherein Jesu's cross I view. I eat whortleberries red, since twas for my sake he bled. But after her mother had gone, she found so many berries that she forgot to say her verse, and so she was enchanted and taken into the hill. And there no harm had been done her, save that she had lost the top joint of the little finger of her left hand, and the goblins had been kind to her. Yet it had always seemed to her as though something were not as it should be. She felt as though something weighed upon her, and she had suffered greatly from the advances of the dwarf who had been chosen for her husband. When Andrew learned who her mother and her people were, he saw that they were related to him, and they became very good friends. So Andrew could truly say he had been born under a lucky star. Then they sailed home and took along the schooner, and all the gold and silver, and all the treasure which had been left in the hut. And then Andrew was far wealthier than his brother. But the latter, who suspected where all this wealth had come from, did not wish to be any poorer than Andrew. He knew that trolls and goblins walk mainly on Christmas Eve, and for that reason he sailed out to the sandbanks at that time. And on Christmas Eve he did see a light or fire, but it seemed to be like will-o'-the-wisps fluttering about. When he came nearer, he heard splashes, horrible howls and cold, piercing cries, and there was a smell of slime and seaweed as it ebb tide. Terrified, he ran up into the hut, from whence he could see the trolls on the shore. They were short and thick like hayricks, completely covered with fur, with curdles of skins, fishing boots, and enormous fist gloves. In place of head and hair, they had bundles of seaweed. When they crawled up from the strand, there was a gleam behind them, like that of rotting wood. And when they shook themselves, they showered sparks about them. When they drew nearer, John Nicholas crawled up into the loft as his brother had done. The goblins dragged a great stone into the hut and began to beat their gloves dry against it. And meanwhile, they screamed so that John Nicholas's blood turned to ice in his hiding place. Then one of them sneezed into the ashes on the hearth in order to make the fire burn again, while the others carried in heather grass and driftwood as coarse and heavy as lead. The smoke and the heat nearly killed the eavesdropper in the loft, and in order to catch his breath and get some fresh air, he tried to crawl out of the lookout in the roof. Yet he was a much heavier build than his brother, stuck fast and could move neither in nor out. 
Then he grew frightened and began to scream. But the goblin screamed much louder and roared and howled and thumped and clamored inside and outside the hut. But when the cock crowed, they disappeared, and John Nicholas freed himself too. Yet when he returned home from his trip, he had lost his reason. And after that, the same cold, sinister screams, which are the mark of the troll in the Northland, might often be heard sounding from storerooms and lofts where he happened to be. Before his death, however, his reason returned, and he was buried in consecrated ground, as they say. But after that time, no human foot ever trod the sandbanks again. They sank, and the mere folk, it is believed, went to the Lee Kang Islands. Andrew's luck held good. No ship made more successful trips than his own. But whenever he came to the Lee Kang Islands, he lay becalmed. The goblins went aboard or ashore with their goods, but after a time he had fair winds, whether he happened to want to go to Bergen or sail home. He had many children, and all of them were bright and vigorous, yet every one of them lacked the upper joint of the little finger of his left hand. End of section 30 Recording by Paul Harvey.